Island Church in Galveston, Texas welcomes you to our podcast. We trust that you will be encouraged by today's message. Thank you, Pastor Rusty, Pastor Leah, for having me. Most grateful. Amen. Amen. Pastor Roland and Laura, thank you so much for being so kind to me and taking care of me. Everyone has been very kind to me. So I thoroughly enjoyed my stay here. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, let's do this. Let's, today, I want to, tonight I want to talk to you about the glory of the cross of Jesus. So I want to give you a few background scriptures. And the first one is, is 1 Corinthians 1.18. 1 Corinthians 1.18. And these are the words uh, of the Apostle Paul. In fact, I can read from verse 17. He says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with, with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Human, you know, human wisdom, human eloquence can often diminish or take away from the effect and the power of the cross. He says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The proclamation of the cross of Jesus is foolishness to those who are perishing because they just don't understand. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. You know, when, when I grew up, before, uh, I joined the military when I was 13, but before that, until the age of 12, I went to schools run by Roman Catholic nuns from Ireland. And they were mean. <laughs> they used to walk around with those wooden yardsticks that, that, that tailors used to measure cloth and they used to walk up and down, you know, the aisles in the classroom, and they used to whack us for every uh, perceived and even imagined infraction, you know. And even today, when I see a wooden ruler, I get PTSD-type <laughs> flashbacks, you know. But, you know, I remember sitting in those classrooms and uh, growing up in a Muslim country, sitting in the classroom, and... Above the blackboard, there was always a crucifix. There was always a cross, a wooden cross, and a man hanging upon the cross, wearing a crown of thorns. And I clearly remember the nails through his hands and his feet. And, you know, all those years, in every single classroom, they had that man on the cross. And I often used to wonder, who is this man? Why is he on the cross? What is he doing on the cross? Who is he? But they never told me. They taught me English. They taught me history, geography. We even had the Muslim priest come in and teach us Islamic studies in the same classroom. But they never told me who that man on the cross was. And I went through that school. And then at the age of 13, I was a cadet in the Air Force. 17, I was a combat veteran. I was suicidal. I was messed up. Age of 21, I got saved. And only then I understood who that man on the cross was. And I remember I was so mad. I was so upset. I thought if they had just told me who that man was on the cross and what he was doing upon that cross, I wouldn't have to go through all the heartache and have all the scars in my life. Because I was suicidal, I was messed up. That man on the cross, he makes a difference. He makes a difference. So for us who are saved, the cross is everything. For the world, it may be foolishness. But for us who are saved, who know the power of the cross, 
It is everything. Amen. I remember um, a few years ago in Zimbabwe, I had this like burnt into my memory on the last night in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. There was this, uh, in the crusade, there was this little girl about nine years old, born totally twisted, crippled, par- paralyzed. And somebody picked her up and put her on the platform. And I said, what happened? Who is this girl? And then said, she was born paralyzed. She's walking. I said, is there anybody who knows her? Yeah, her mother, bring her mother up. But the mother was too distraught to say anything. She was just weeping. I said, is there somebody else? Well, the lady said, yeah, I know this lady. Uh, this child was born crippled and twisted. And, and now the child is walking. So uh, I used to, I had a Scottish girl in my team, Janie. And I never forget this. Janie held the girl's hand and walked back and forth with her, you know, uh, on the platform. And I remember the next day, I was sitting on the Swiss Airways flight from Johannesburg to Zurich, and I couldn't sleep. I was replaying. I was all wound up. I was replaying all the impressions of the two crusades I've just had in Africa. And I was thinking of this girl, and I was, uh, and I was asking, I said, Lord, uh, how, tell me the, the mechanics of this. I mean, how does this thing work? Because there's no doctor who could have done this, and... And there are people out there, you know, in America and Europe who were not there. If I told them, they would say, I'm lying, making this up. But I was there, and I know it was true. And it happened in front of thousands of people. How does this thing work? I mean, and then the Lord told me something. He said, you see, there's two things. Firstly, the Lord said, there was a man who lived 2,000 years ago who had never been to Zimbabwe. He lived 2,000 years ago in a place about 5,000 miles away. So 2,000 years after he died on a cross. And he died on a cross 2,000 years ago. So 2,000 years later on, after his death on the cross, in a place 5,000 years away, on another uh, 2,000, uh, 5,000 miles away, you told the story of that cross. And there is such power in that story. And then you, with your lips, spoke that man's name. And this girl, little girl in Africa, could get up and walk. That is the power of the cross of Jesus. Amen. And the name of Jesus. So he says, so Paul, I'm going to read to you a couple of scriptures. Uh, you know, Paul wrote to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. And in the first chapter, from verse 18 to 24, I want to read this also. I should have read this first. It says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Disputer means the the debaters of this world. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The world could not know God through the wisdom of man, but God chose that is through the foolishness of preaching. Man should be saved. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. 
but to, unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, I want you to understand where Paul was coming from. Where he was coming from was that when Paul first came to Europe, the first message, the first time he ever preached on European soil was when he stood on Mars Hill in Athens and he preached the gospel. Now, I've been to Mars Hill. It's right at the foot of the Acropolis, you know, the, the famous Acropolis in Athens, if you've been there. And so when you stand, it's actually not even a hill. It's a little rock. For some reason, they call it a hill. But when you stand on that rock and there you look down and uh, they'll tell you that this, these are the places where the philosophers used to sit and debate and used to discuss. And what Paul did, you know, Paul was not a dummy. Paul was very smart. I mean, he could match wits with the smartest minds of his time. He, he could actually talk to people at that level with, 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 with people who were well-versed in, in philosophy. And, you know, Athens was the seat of, of all philosophy at that time, Greek, Greek philosophy. So Paul was very, you know, very educated and he could talk to them at that level. So what he did, he sat with those philosophers and tried to present the gospel to them using philosophy, using philosophical debate, but it failed. He had very little result there. That's why, although Athens was the capital of Greece, it was the big city and the first place he preached, there's no letter in the New Testament to the church in Athens. Paul was a failure. He failed to accomplish what he intended to. He had the best intentions and he thought, these people are into philosophy. That is the lingo they speak. So I'm going to use philosophy to reach them, to convince them of, you know, the, the, the gospel. And it didn't work. So what he did from Athens, he went to Corinth. When he went to Corinth, then he said, you know, I'm not going to make the same mistake I made in Athens. I'm not going to, I'm not going to engage them in philosophical discourse. But there, he said, he said, when I came to you, I preached nothing else except Christ crucified. And that's why he's writing this to them. And that's where there was an explosion and people were saved and there were miracles. And there was a big church in Corinth, which was so powerful that he wrote not one, but two of the main epistles in the New Testament were written to the church in Corinth. So he talks about the power of the cross that you cannot really know God through, through man's utterances, through man's musings, but through the preaching of the cross because God has chosen in his own wisdom that it is through the foolishness of preaching that man should be saved. Now, why is it foolish? Why is the preaching of the cross foolish? Just think of it. We preach about a man who was born of a virgin. That's strike one. Right? Strike two, not only was he born of a virgin, but he lived a sinless life. He never messed up. Thirdly, when he died upon the cross, now which was normal, many people died on the cross, but strike three was that we claim that when he died on the cross, he bore our sins and our diseases on his own self. And not only, not just the diseases and sicknesses of people in his time, but for people in all perpetuity. And then, so that's strike three. But there's more to go. Then he was buried and on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And then he ascended to heaven where he's at the right hand side of God and he's going to come back again. So this whole story is the gospel story. 
But that is where the power is. God has chosen. That's why the gospel is foolishness. But God has chosen that it is through this foolishness man shall be saved. And so what, what people do in our time, they try to clean up the story. Let's not talk about the virgin birth because this makes people think that we are stupid, that in our day and age we could believe a thing like this. You know, let, let's not say he was sinless. Let us not talk about, you know, the blood. The, you know, let's not have a, they, they call it a butcher shop gospel. Let's not preach a gory, bloody butcher shop gospel. You know, there's a famous Spanish painter known as Salvador Dali. And Salvador Dali made beautiful paintings. I mean, amazing. And his uh, most famous painting was an image of Christ on the cross dying for the world. So it's from above. You see, like a, a view from above, Jesus on the cross, and then you see the world there. But you know the amazing thing about that painting? You don't see one single drop of blood. So he offers people a bloodless gospel. But a bloodless gospel cannot save anybody. So people in their own way, many people in different ways, try to sanitize and clean up the gospel so as not to offend modern man. So we offer a gospel that is palatable to them, which they want to hear. But God does not back up that kind of gospel. That kind of gospel, people might say, well, yeah, it sounds good. I like it, you know. But, but there is no salvation. There is no life change. There are no miracles. There's, the hand of God is not in that gospel because that gospel is not of man. It's not of God. It is of man. But God has chosen that man should be saved through the foolishness of the original gospel of the bloody, gory gospel. That's what God has chosen. Amen. So, the preaching of the cross is unto them that perish foolishness, but unto us that believe, it is the power of God. I, I encourage you pastors, because these days I hear a lot, oh, I want to see miracles. You know, I'm with the Assemblies of God. When I'm with AG pastors, they say, well, how can I see more miracles? I say, preach the cross. When was the last time you preached the cross? When was the last time you told your congregation what Jesus did for them upon the cross? Right? If you want to see people healed, uh, you can't just have people healed just because you want people to be healed. You got to tell them about the whipping post and tell them how they whipped him and they beat him and they nailed him to the cross because that is where he bore their diseases. You must tell them about the exchange that took place. Otherwise, they cannot be healed. So, uh, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Whatever we preach is what people will have faith to receive from God. If you want to see miracles, preach the cross. Whatever you are trying to achieve, whatever results you want to see, you must preach that. Amen. Just wanting it and desiring it is not enough. You must preach that because that is what produces miracles. Amen. Thank you for your enthusiasm. All three of you who nodded your head silently. Let us go to John chapter 11. Okay. John, are you with me? Okay. John chapter 11. Uh, in John chapter 11, John chapter 11 is the famous chapter where Jesus raised up Lazarus. Okay, let's, let's read verse uh, 45 and 46. It's, this is what, this was the aftermath of the resurrection of Lazarus. He says, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. So when Lazarus, you know, I mean all those people were Jews of course. You know, they were the whole, the, the people in Jerusalem, around Jerusalem, everybody, you know, around Jesus. They were basically, everyone was Jews, was Jewish. So it says that many of the Jews which came to Mary 
and had seen the things which Jesus did. They believed on him. So people who saw Jesus raise up Lazarus from the dead, they believed in him. But, verse 46, some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. It's interesting. A group of people, and they all saw the same miracle. Some of them believed in him, and the others went to the Pharisees and reported. And, and said, this is what this man is doing. And then, uh, well, you know, so if you read the rest of the verses, they basically, the Pharisees decided that, they, you know, verse 53 says, and from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. They decided the only way we can solve this problem with Jesus is to put him to death. Let us just kill him. Let us kill Jesus. Because what happened when they came to the Pharisees, the Pharisees got together and they said, this man is becoming a headache. What should we do with him? So they had that debate. Then they came to the conclusion, let us kill him. Okay. Let's go to John chapter 12. Now, the interesting thing was that this miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead, this took place just before the Passover. And the Passover was the biggest feast of the Jews. And during the Passover, Jews used to come from all over the world to, I mean, the known world of that time, to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. In fact, you know, after the Passover, when they would disperse and go back to their places, they would, there was a saying, they would say, next year in Jerusalem. So they could miss some of the other feasts, but nobody wanted to miss Passover. That's when they were, you know, they would come back to Jerusalem. So all these people were there. And then what had happened was uh, Jesus had raised up Lazarus. So suddenly people from all over the world, the known world of that time, had heard of the miracle. And this created a major stir. Now, it says here from verse 9, it says, much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. So all these Jews, you know, they were in Jerusalem. They heard of this great miracle because Bethany, where Lazarus lived, was only two miles away. It was in just outside Jerusalem. So all these people who had come from all over the world, they heard about Jesus, how Jesus had raised up Lazarus from the dead. So they were curious and they wanted to see Jesus, but they also wanted to see Lazarus because Lazarus was the living evidence of what Jesus had done. So then it says here in verse 10, but the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. These guys had a simple solution to their problems. <laughs> huh? Let's kill Jesus. Okay, let's kill Lazarus also. You know, they had a very simple solution to their problems, you know. So anyway, then it says, because the reason they did this, verse 11, because by reason of him, the, because of Lazarus, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Because so people who saw Lazarus, they believed in Jesus because Lazarus was living proof. Anyway, so on the next day, Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Just look at the drama. So Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on the next day. And the people, in verse 13, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him. And they cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Okay? Now, you're going to, you must understand something. That for the Jews to call anyone but Caesar as their king was treason. Now, the palm branch was the symbol of the zealots. The zealots were like the insurgency movement against the Romans. They're the ones who wanted to fight the Romans. So they suddenly threw away all their restraints and they came out. 
waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna to the king. You know, and Hosanna was their war cry. Hosanna to the king. And so they were ready to, it was like an open rebellion. They wanted Jesus to be their king because this miracle had stirred up all the people and Jesus was at his height of popularity at that moment. The ministry of Jesus had never been at such a peak of popularity as it was at that time. And then what happened? All this is happening. Verse 20, and there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. These were Jews from Greece. They had come to worship at the feast. And the same came therefore. They were caught up in all this. They came to Philip, which was a bedside of Galilee, and desired him saying, sir, we would see Jesus. And Philip comes and tells Andrew, and again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus, Jesus, there's some Greeks who want to see you. I mean, you are so popular. After this miracle, I mean, we know that the Pharisees hate you, but among the general public, your ratings are higher than they've ever been before. Now, if Jesus was an American televangelist. If he had a TV ministry, he would have said, now guys, I have an idea. Let us postpone this thing with the cross a couple of years. Let us ride this thing and milk this thing. Let's take this show on the road. Reproduce this. Have these miracle conferences all over Israel. But no, not Jesus. He wouldn't allow his popularity of the moment to distract him from the real reason why he came to this world. So when they say, Jesus, you're so popular, now these Greeks want to see you. You know what Jesus does? He immediately begins to talk about his death. They're talking about his popularity. These people want to see you. Such excitement. But Jesus, he begins to talk about his death. And this is what he says. I mean, I love to read this. Verse 23 in chapter 12. And Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die... It beareth, bringeth forth much fruit. He began to liken himself to a corn of wheat. He said, corn of wheat, it, if, if it abides the way it is, it remains a corn of wheat. But to reproduce, it has to die. I have to die. Then it says, he who loves his life will lose it. And he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Think of it. Think of the strong words he uses. He who loves his life shall lose it. But he who hates his life shall keep it. Then suddenly he begins to talk about us. He's talking about his death. Then he's dragging you and me into it. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Let me. You tell those Greeks, do they want to see me? I'm on my way to the cross. You want to come with me? You want to die with me? That's what I says. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there also my servant, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Then he says, Now is my soul troubled. He was, this was really bothering him, which is understandable. In his humanity, he was going through the turmoil. And what shall I say? Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? He says, No, because it is for this cause that I came to the world. Shall I ask the Father to deliver me from this? No, because it is for this I came into this world. And then he said, Father, 
glorify thy name. Now, he begins this little speech by saying, now, he says, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And he finishes it by saying, Father, glorify thy name. Now, when we think of the glory of God, we think of things like a glory cloud, right? To the air conditioning vent, see a glory cloud or other forms of glory cloud. People think of those things like we had a, we, we filmed a, in Africa, there were like 40, 50,000 people dancing, praising God. And someone said, that's the glory cloud. I never, I never thought of it. You know, people say glory. When we think of the glory of God, we think of the glory cloud. That's the first thing I think of because in word of faith circles, that's the first thing you hear about. Then we think about miracles. The glory of God. Like when I was in Burma and there was a guy who died in the meeting and God raised him up in front of everybody. That's the glory of God. When a lame person gets up and walks, that's the glory of God. But here's Jesus. He's talking about something else as being glorious. He's talking about the time when they would arrest him and they would take him and they would whip him and beat him bloody, disfiguring his face, crown him with thorns and covered with blood. Then they would spit upon him and so covered with his own blood, disfigured face with his back totally lacerated and covered with his own blood, covered with the spit of sinners, covered with dirt. He would carry that cross to Calvary with the curses and blasphemies of people ringing in his ears. And he would be nailed to the cross, forsaken by man, forsaken by God, and would die a horrible death, bearing upon himself the sins and disease of mankind. And that horrible death, he called that glorious. He called that glorious. Just think of it. Now is the time. This is the time that the Son of Man should be glorified. He said, Father, glorify your name. And that's from there he went to the cross. So now I want to give you the reasons why the cross of Jesus is so glorious. The first reason why the cross of Jesus is glorious, we see in verse 31. Reason number one in chapter 12. Now is the judgment of this world. All right? Now is the judgment of this world. The first reason why the cross of Jesus is so glorious is because when Jesus was upon the cross, God judged the world for its sins. When Jesus was upon the cross, God took all the sins of every human being to walk on this earth from the first man, Adam, to the last person on this earth who is yet to be born. All their open sins, all their secret sins, all their big sins, all their little sins, your sins, my sins, God took all of them and put them upon Jesus. And once Jesus was laden with all of your sins and my sins and the sins of mankind, God judged him instead of judging us. That is amazing grace. Now is the judgment of this world. Now there will be another judgment when mankind will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. All mankind will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But that when people are judged then, nobody will be judged for their sins, but they will be judged for rejecting the free salvation that God offers to mankind. You understand what I'm saying? And in between that, you know, people prophesy judgment. You know, God, listen, when Hurricane Katrina came, God is judging. 
you know, New Orleans for its sins. Now, if he was doing that, why would he spare Bourbon Street? <laughs> and he would judge those parts of New Orleans where all the poor black people lived who were working to support their families. God will, did he miss something? People can be so stupid. <laughs> I call them the TBN prophets. Do you understand what I'm saying? People, anytime something bad happens, God is judging people. You know, when 9-11 when, uh, happened, God is judging America for America's sins, right? And when some, you know, uh, the tsunami hit Indonesia, well, God is judging the Muslims for attacking America. I mean, he's always, listen, we don't live in the era of God's judgment. We live in the era of God's mercy. This is the era of the gospel. God is not going around judging people. He is going around saving people. And our message is a message of redemption, of salvation. Never forget that the gospel is a redemptive message. It is not a judgmental message. Are you with me? That was the first thing. The first reason why the cross of Jesus is so glorious is because upon the cross, God judged the sins of all mankind. Now, you are sitting here, you, you've done something bad that you have a hard time forgiving yourself. Let me tell you, God has already judged that in Christ. So the best thing you can do is forgiving yourself. Don't punish yourself for something that God has already punished Jesus for. Amen. Amen. God put all your sins upon Jesus. He put my sins upon Jesus so that you and I can walk free. So don't punish yourself. Amen. So that's the first reason the cross is so glorious because upon the cross... God judged the sins of all mankind. The second reason why the cross is so glorious is in the same verse. It says, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. The second reason why the cross of Jesus is so glorious is because upon the cross, Jesus defeated Satan and his hosts decisively once and for all. Colossians 2.15 says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, and the word spoiled there means disarmed, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly. That means he did it openly, didn't do it secretly. Triumphing over them in it, and it is the cross. Hallelujah. So Jesus triumphed over Satan completely, totally, decisively upon the cross. Jesus defeated the devil once and for all. Amen. So don't go around saying, oh, you know, I've got a curse on me. I've got a generational curse. There's no such thing as a generational curse. Now, that's another subject. If Pastor Rusty invites me back, we'll talk about that. But there is no such thing that you're born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, and you've got these little goblins following you around <laughs> just because your grandmother did, the, did some, you know, did the Ouija board or something. That is stupid. People can be stupid. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus has defeated the devil decisively and once and for all. Amen. The third reason why the cross of Jesus is so glorious is in Colossians 2, 14 and 15. It says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. He took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And that is, he removed the law of Moses as our means of salvation or sanctification. Amen. The handwriting of the ordinance, that's the law of Moses. 
Now, for those Jews, that was their means of forgiveness. You had to keep that law to be, to be accepted by God. Let's not talk about, use the word salvation. Let's talk about being accepted by God. For the, for the Jew to be accepted by God, he had to keep the entire law of Moses. And if he failed even in one of those littlest of those laws, his goose was cooked. Okay? So what did Jesus do? Jesus removed the law of Moses as our means of acceptance by God or and even as our means of, of sanctification that keeping the law makes us better. It does not. Our means of salvation is the blood of Jesus alone. And our means of sanctification is the word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. As we yield to the word of God, yield to the Holy Spirit, they do their works on that. Now, what about the law? Yeah, the law is still of God. It's still of God. But what the law, what role the law plays in the Christian's life is more of a passive role in that, in that the law still shows us the holiness and the righteousness of God. But it does not determine whether you're loved and accepted by God or not. Do you understand what I'm saying? And Jesus, that's the, that's the third reason why the cross of Jesus is so glorious that upon that cross, Jesus nailed the law of Moses to the cross. And that's very hard for, I'm telling you this because that's very hard for Christians to uh, take these days, some Christians, because within a segment of the body of Christ, there had been this resurgence of the uh, Hebrew roots movement that wants to drag us back into to the law, you know, to keeping the feasts and Jewish traditions and blowing shofars and, you know, and wearing prayer shawls and key. You know, there's, uh, some people are saying we shouldn't celebrate our, uh, you know, our, 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 our services on Sunday. We should do it on Sunday. There's a whole movement. They're doing that. And they won't like that because they want to drag us back under the law. But this is what the Bible teaches, that Jesus nailed that to his cross. Okay. So, okay, anyway, number four reason why the cross of Jesus is so glorious is that he bore upon himself our physical, emotional, and mental diseases and infirmities. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, surely, surely, everybody says surely. That means this is beyond discussion, beyond debate. There's no ambiguity about this. Surely he has, he has, he has, it's in the past tense, born. And the word born means, uh, the Hebrew word nasa means to carry away someone else's burden upon your own self. Surely he has borne our sicknesses, our diseases, and suffered our pain. Yet we considered him stricken, smitten of God, and cast down. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. You know, before they put Jesus on the cross, the Romans had a, used to, uh, they had a, a, an instrument of torture known as a flagrum. A flagrum was a whip of, made of oxide. It had nine long belts of leather, and each belt of leather had these sharp pieces of metal and bone. And they, they tied up Jesus, and they whipped him, and they whipped him, and they whipped him. And with each cut of the whip, Pieces of flesh and skin were torn off his back. Pieces of flesh came off his back. In fact, the psalmist said that, that, that his back looked like a field that had been plowed. He said, plowmen had plowed, plowed my back and had made deep furrows. And the Bible says that with those stripes, we have been healed. The reason Jesus was whipped was because when he was being whipped, he bore our diseases, mental and physical, upon his own self, and by his stripes, his wounds, we have been healed. Yes, amen. amen. Yes. Now, you know, I'm with the AG, and in the Assemblies of God, we have our statement of faith, 16-point statement of faith, and I'm reading to you 
Article number 12, the ex you know, I'm reading it as it says in our, uh, on our website, it says divine healing is an integral part of the gospel. It's, it's not a side thing. It is an integral part of the gospel. Deliverance from sickness is provided for in the atonement and is the privilege of all believers. Hallelujah. Amen? Did you get that? Okay. Reason number five why the cross of Jesus is so glorious. The Bible says in Colossians, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether there be things in earth or things in heaven. Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross. Peace between God and man. Peace between men. Even peace with nature. Redemption. The gospel is a message of redemption. Jesus made peace through the blood of his cross. Hallelujah. When Jesus touches us, we are not at war anymore. I mean, I mean, just I'm a living. Look, look at me. When I was 19 years old, I was, I was a jihadist. Can you believe that? You know what a jihadist is? I was a jihad guy, right? And if I had not met Jesus, I don't know what I've been today because I remember. Uh, one of my classmates, one of my close friends, when I went into the military, uh, you know, and, uh, well, we were cadets together, and I went into the army. I was commissioned as an army officer, and he, he, didn't, he became a doctor. And uh, somebody told me that, uh, you know, the other day I was talking to a friend of mine. I said, what happened to him? They said, we were so close. And he said, well, you know, he became a, a, an apologist for the Taliban. And for Al-Qaeda, I said, no, not him. He was such a kind of secularized kind of Muslim. And then one day, I looked for him. I saw him on YouTube. Couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe he was my old friend. He's defending the Taliban and, and uh, Al-Qaeda. And I, I thought of myself, if Jesus hadn't met me and saved me. If that could be me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, amen. It could have been me. And now I'm preaching here and I hope you love me. <laughs> but if I had not been saved, I would have been one of those and you'd be saying about me, why didn't somebody take this guy out? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Let us send Chuck Norris after him. <laughs> or somebody. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, life, oh, the devil takes us on different paths. But Jesus, he redeems Amen. lives that are lost and he makes peace. Thank God for the gospel. Yeah. That's the glory of the cross of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus made peace with his blood upon the cross. Amen. And reason number six, why the cross of Jesus is so glorious. Ephesians 2.13 says, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off are made nigh, brought near, by the blood of Christ. That means Jesus, you know, Jesus said in the Gospel of John, he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And he's not talking about lifted up that, you know, we exalt Jesus. He's talking about his cross. When I'm crucified and cruc upon that cross, he said, 
I will draw all men unto me. And that's why, you know, I was telling you last night when I went to this place in Asia, 1% Christian and these thousands, tens of thousands, I showed you the photo of that huge crowd. And I said, Lord, what do you say to these people who have no connection with Christianity? They've never heard of Jesus. And the Lord said to me, just preach the cross. I started preaching the cross and suddenly people started running to the front to get saved because the Holy Spirit touches people. So when we lift up the cross of Jesus, somehow, I don't want to use the word magic, but magic happens. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, I'm using, I'm, it's a, I don't want to use it, but you know what I mean. Something <laughs> happens which I can't describe that is indescribable. We talk about Jesus, we talk about his cross. I saw that same thing in Bulgaria. So I was, doing, I was doing a crusade in a stadium in Bulgaria and, the, and the, they rented us the stadium on the condition that nobody came on the grass. Everybody sat on the bleachers. I said, fine. So we put the platform there. And I was preaching. And while, you know, when I came to the field, I, I saw a man who was carried on a blanket, paralyzed from head to toe. They had put him on the field. And God told me, tell them to move this guy because something is going to happen tonight. So I told them to move the guy to the side and they picked up the blanket and put him on the side of the platform. And while I was preaching, the Holy Ghost fell on the crowd. 50,000 people, they started, they knocked the fence down. You know, they have a fence between the, 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 the soccer pitch, you know. And they, they put the, they, 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 they begin to climb up on the fence, you know, to get over it. And they knocked the fence down and they came running to the front, screaming, weeping, went on their knees, crying. And I was thinking, dear Lord, I've got to pay for this grassy field. And people, people were on the grass weeping. And then I look, and this guy on the blanket, he was up walking and running, and God was doing miracles. You see, when we preach the cross, when the cross of Jesus is lifted up, God... Holy Spirit works his magic. I don't understand how he does it, but he does it. Unfailing. He says, you just preach my cross. Watch what I do. That's the mystery. The workings of God in the hearts of sinners. When we preach the cross, he says, I will draw all men unto me. Hallelujah. Amen. And Jesus died on the cross. He paid the price totally, fully. It is finished. Put him in the grave. And after three days, God raised him from the dead. Then he, you know, he handed the gospel message to the disciples. He says, don't go anywhere, but wait. Just wait. Until you receive that which I told you about. Because John baptized you in water. And you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And then they said. It says how they. As the student watched in the gospel of Mark. How Jesus ascended to heaven. And as he was ascending to heaven. The angels were escorting him. And as they approached. The gates of heaven. The angels who were with Jesus, they began to shout. They said, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, that the king of glory may come in. And the voice came back from heaven. The angels at the gate, they said, who is this king of glory? And the angels with Jesus said, the Lord Almighty, mighty in battle. He is the one who defeated the devil. He is the king of glory. And Jesus ascended to heaven and sat at the right hand of the Father. Then a week later on the day of Pentecost, he sent down the Holy Ghost. And his disciples were in the upper room waiting for the Holy Ghost. And suddenly there was a mighty sound like a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire came. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And you know they began to speak in 17 different languages. There are 17 different languages that are listed in, the, you know, in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Ghost fell because there were Jews from all over the world. They heard, they say, oh wow, we hear 
Persian, we hear Arabic, we hear all these different languages, 17 different, and that's, that was a sign from God. Now the gospel is going to go out to the whole world. You know, and Jesus had said, go into all the world. But do you know, it took about 11 years from the time when Jesus said, go into all the world to the time that they actually took the gospel to the Gentiles. They were so thick-headed. Somehow they were locked in their thing because they believed the gospel is for the Jews only. Although Jesus had said, go into all the world. It took 11 years. It took, in fact, it took, what it took was when Peter went to the house of Cornelius and, and, and they were mad at him for going to the house of a Gentile, you know. And, and he preached the gospel and supernaturally God just poured out the Holy Spirit while he was, he was still preaching and they were filled with the Holy Ghost, spoken tongues. And when they called Peter to answer, Peter said, what could I do? I was preaching and suddenly they, Holy Ghost came on them like he came upon us on the day of Pentecost and they spoke in tongues, so I baptized them. And these people were so thick-headed that, they, okay, now we've got to figure out what rules they have to follow. You know, we haven't made provision for these people to come in. It took time to get it. It took almost 2,000 years for the church to figure out that black people could be saved. It was only in the 1800s that the first missionaries went to Africa. Why? They were stuck with this stupid idea that God had cursed Ham. Noah had cursed Ham. Remember that? And they were stuck with that. So there's no point in preaching the gospel to black people. When I went to South Africa during apartheid, they actually taught in their churches. And not in all churches, but in the Dutch Reformed Church. I call it the much deformed church. <laughs> they actually taught that black people couldn't be saved. You know, you know, it, took, it takes time for the church to figure some of these things out. That is how thick-headed people are. But we must preach the gospel. We had, the Bible says, to whom much is given, of whom much is required. You know, we, we have received so much. Hallelujah. Right? And look at what we are doing with this faith thing. Right? Oh, we have faith. So what am I going to do? I'm going to believe God for a Cadillac. I'm going to believe God for a big house. I'm going to, that's what. Faith. What about faith to reach the world? Faith to preach the gospel. Faith for miracles. Faith to go to hospitals and heal the sick. You know, God has given us so much. But it all comes down to one thing. Remember, all comes down to the cross. The preaching of the cross is unto them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. I want to finish with these scriptures, two verses. Galatians 6.14, Paul says, The cross also brings separation. The cross brings salvation and healing, deliverance. But the cross also brings separation. Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. That means separation from the world, separation from sin. And that is what brings blessings into our lives. Paul says, God forbid that I should glory in anything except in the cross, because through the cross, I am dead to the world, and the world is dead to me. Just think of it. I live in this world, but I'm dead to the world. There's nothing in the world that attracts me, nothing in the world that has a hold on me. I'm dead to the world, and the world is dead to me. And I want to finish with this scripture that connects with this, 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. Wherefore, come out from among them 
You don't hear much preaching about that these days. Come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So there's a precondition if I want to say God is my father and I'm a child of God. Right? In the world they say, oh, we are all children of God. Uh-uh. We are not all children of God. You know, that's what universalists say. We're all children of God. In the church, oh, if you prayed a sinner's prayer, you're a child of God. Uh-uh, that's not what the Bible says. Bible says, you want to be a son of God? Come out from among them. Mm-mm. And be separate. I didn't say that. The Lord said that. And don't touch the unclean thing. So, three things. Come out from among them. Be separate. And don't touch that which is unclean. He says, then you'll be my sons and daughters. And I will be your father, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for his blood. Thank God for the price he paid. You know, the message of the cross is so powerful. Listen, when you, when you, when I stand there before people preach the cross, It's like God takes the lid off. There's no limitations. He can do anything. Honestly. God can do anything. Mind-blowing things. I mean, it's it's because, you know, (laughs) you preach Jesus. And Jesus showed up. Shows up. He says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. I really believe that, you know. You know, some people say, do you feel the presence of God? So we need to have a proper organist. and We need to create a certain atmosphere. And then he said, oh, glory, I feel. Yeah. No, 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 no. The presence of God is not a feeling. We have reduced it to a feeling in the charismatic world. But it's not a feeling. The presence of God is a fact. When two or three are gathered together in my name, that's all he says. He doesn't say when you feel something, I'm there in the midst of them. He doesn't say that. He says where two or three are gathered together. We have to condition ourselves to believe that. You, you know where I learned that? In the 80s when I used to go to Catholic churches, in Poland and preach and they'd be singing songs to Mary and whatever and I had to learn to condition myself that to shut out all their stuff and not go by any feeling because you know when they're singing their dead songs to Mary and you're trying to feel something you're not going to feel anything so I said Lord okay so that feeling thing is out Okay, they're going, to, they're going to sing to Mary. They had one song about Mary, Queen of Poland. They would sing that, and they'd expect me to come and preach after that. <laughs> you know, so, so I had to, I said, okay, Lord, teach me. And that, so the Lord said to me, just shut out that stuff and go by this, where two or three are gathered together in my name. I'm there. So I'd say, Lord, There's no great music here, but there's more than two or three of us. So I know you're here. And the moment you stand on that, God shows up. Because he always honors his word. Are you with me? So the presence of God is not a feeling. It is a fact where two or three are gathered together in the name of God of Jesus. He says, I'm right there in the midst of them. So people ask me, so how do, how do you feel when you're in Africa on the platform and 
you've got all these blind, deaf, crippled people. I say, I look around me. Do I have two or three people on the platform who are there in the name of Jesus? It's very safe to assume that my team are there for that reason. Fine, then we are good. Where two or three are there. Jesus is always there. Hallelujah. Remember that. Amen? Amen? Remember that the word of God is always true. Sometimes God stirs our emotions. He gives us feelings and that is great. But many times he doesn't. Then you stand on the word. When you don't feel anything, you stand on the word. Hallelujah. Let's stand up together. Let's lift up our hands. Let us honor him. Thank you, Jesus, for... Just think of the cross. You know, that, that's bare bones. What he did upon the cross. Amen? Don't even try to think about how much faith do I have or how I feel. It's not about that. It's about what he did upon the cross. We, we, we need to learn to tap into that. Too much we look... Too many times we look at ourselves. And when we, that's why Jesus said, whatsoever, whatsoever you shall ask in my name. Because the moment you look at yourself, try to measure how much faith you have, you're coming to God in your own name. And when you come in your name, you will always fall short. Because we are human. With the best of intentions, we will come short. But you say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Not because of who I am, on the basis of what you did for me upon the cross. And you did it for me before I was even born. You bore all my sins. You carried all my diseases. So I stand here right now, forgiven and loved and accepted. And everything you have is available to me. So let's lift up our hands to God and thank you. Father, we thank you. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com. Hallelujah.